big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. First off, my apologies for the audio quality of this intro. I'm traveling and I'm not on my usual recording setup. That being said, before we begin the episode, we want to thank our newest patron, Sharon. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like Sharon and get access to all kinds of fun bonus content, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. And now enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 27 and 28 of Emma. I'm grocery shopping yesterday for the Super Bowl. I've changed my path for what I'm making a little bit. Instead of making buffalo cauliflower wings, I'm making um, like a sticky sesame cauliflower wing. So I love that. Yeah, it's going to be really good. And because Mel doesn't like spicy foods, really. So I figured I'd make something that everyone can enjoy. Yeah. Um, But they're like coated in like a flour, like um, like a batter and then breadcrumb situation and then baked and then tossed in the like it's like soy sauce and uh, maple syrup and like stuff like that. That sounds delicious. You could also just like keep some aside if you wanted to try making like a buffalo side. That's so just true. Frank's Red Hot. And yeah, I could do butter, like vegan exactly. butter. Yeah, <laughs> like, which we have vegan butter. So I guess theoretically I could pick up some Frank's Red Hot. Um, but then I was like, you know what? I don't really eat buffalo sauce that often anyway. And I was like, I was only doing that it. for the yeah. aesthetic. And also to give a nod to the Buffalo Bills who are not in the Super Bowl this year. RIP to the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to be wearing my Giants jersey. I hope you know that. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. But I am oddly excited for the football aspect of it, actually. Are you okay? No. I'm, like, very surprised. I'm, like, looking forward to, one, the snacks, but, two, like, watching the game. It's fun. And I watched both of the, like, whatever they're called, the games that lead into the Super Bowl. Semifinals? The the championship games? Championship games. I watched them both. So I like have a little investment in like the games that led into like the the Chiefs game. I'm, you know, go birds. But the Chiefs game was actually very close. Well, the thing about the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, is that Patrick Mahomes is like the quarterback of of the moment. Mm -hmm. I think he's a brilliant football player and also just like a great presence in Kansas City. He was doing all of that without being able to walk on his leg. Every time he finished a play or whatever, he would like limp off the the field. It's like, take care of yourself, guys. They're all injured and playing anyway. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's another issue with just football in general. But yes, like, yes, let's yes. not go into that right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, all that to say, this is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are not here to talk about football. No, we are not. We are here specifically to talk about Jane Austen. Specifically, even more so, to talk about Emma! 
Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen books over my lifetime. And I, Molly, am reading her for the first time through this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can listen to seasons one and two of this podcast respectively, but that is not what we're doing here today. No. Today we are talking about volume two, chapters nine and ten of Emma, or if your book is not broken up into volumes, that's chapters 27 and 28. Actually, Molly, can you open up to the end of the chapters right now in your book, if that's possible? I want to see how far we are in the book at this point. Oh, I can tell you how far we are in the book because I marked it on Goodreads. Ooh, okay. And it told me what percentage I am. We're on page 250 of the book, and that brings us to 52%. So we're about halfway through the book. Everyone say a little, yay! Yay! At this point, do you feel like you have a sense of where the book is going, or is it still a mystery? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Who's mystery? Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I keep feeling like I was trying to explain it. So I was on the way somewhere, and I was on the phone with my mom, and she has never read this book, but she is like listening to the podcast and kind of experiencing it through my reactions to it. And so she was trying to go over all the characters and their relationships together and their relationships to each other on the phone with me. And I was like, oh, no, like that's Emma's governess's husband's son. And that's Jane Fairfax's uh, kind of like ward sister's uh, husband husband and his parent. Like I was like trying to go through all the different connections. She's like, wait, what's what's Frank Churchill's connection? What's Jane Fairfax's connection? Who are the Westons? Like going through everything. And I was like, this is a complex book. So maybe it would be good for us to sort of like take a step back and go through like what's happened so far in the book. Totally. Yeah. For our, our listeners who might be following along, not with the book themselves, but just following along because they're enjoying the story. Yeah. So we have Emma, a wealthy young woman living in a kind of small town in England and clearly being the big fish in the little pond. She lives with her father, who is somewhat hypochondriac and very anxious generally and hashtag relatable to every millennial. (laughs) And her bestie is her neighbor, Mr. Knightley, who is also her brother-in-law because her older sister married his younger brother. Yeah, my mom was very confused about that. She's like, wait, they're both named Mr. Knightley? And I'm like, well, they're brothers. And she's like, oh, oh, right, right, right. Yes, there's George Knightley and John Knightley. And the two of them are off in London, so they don't really partake much in the story. But then we have Emma's close relationship to her governess, uh, who was named Miss Taylor, who married a guy in town named Mr. Weston. Mr. Weston's son is Frank, who lives with his aunt and uncle, not with his father, uh, who is the talk of the town and a semi-celebrity crush for M. Mm-hmm. Turned semi-real-life crush for M, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, meanwhile... Emma's got a bestie in Harriet Smith, who is below her class-wise, but Emma's trying to bring up, not to her level, but to a level that's acceptable, and Emma is trying to matchmake her throughout the town. Mm-hmm. She fails spectacularly at doing that with Mr. Elton. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Mr. Elton. Forgot yeah. about him. And she sort of cuts off Harriet from another suitor, Mr. Robert Martin, because she doesn't see him as worthy. But he's dreamy. Yes, he's dreamy. Yes. We love Mr. Robert Martin. Yes. And then, finally, you have the Bateses, a fallen from grace family that lives in the same town with a beautiful young niece named Jane Fairfax, who is somewhat a mystery, somewhat a nemesis, and somewhat uh, eligible in a way that might have caught Mr. Knightley's eye. Potentially. 
did I miss anything in this recap that I you feel like is uh, necessary to say at this point? I don't think so. That that pretty much covers the plot. And then there's like, you know, themes that have come up as well, such as everyone's parents are dead and we're seeing like how different people raised in different situations with the same circumstances kind of leading into it can turn out differently, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And obviously most of this book centers around our girl, the namesake, Emma, Emma. who is sort of Jane Austen's most complex creation of um, intelligence and charisma, but also uh, arrogance and classism. Classism, yeah. So I think you have in Emma someone with like 8,000 fatal flaws. Yeah, she's got a lot of fatal flaws and she's somehow still alive. Well, yeah, that's called many. <laughs> but that's where we're at. So that's a, my that's my halfway through the book recap. Love it. And let's get into the chapters that you read today. Yeah, so chapter nine or chapter 27 starts with Emma patting herself on the back for going to the party and kind of gracing the coals with her presence and making them so happy that she came. A for Emma, as we like to say on this mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> She just has two regrets about the party. One, she feels like she might have broken the girl code by revealing her suspicions about Jane to Frank. And two, she's upset at herself for not playing as well as Jane when she, you know, took her turn at the piano. So she she's, spends an hour and a half practicing the next day. Yes. And this is this is also very interesting because, like, well, we'll talk about it in the study questions, but Emma talks a lot about what she exactly regrets about saying to Frank. Mm-hmm. And also, um, she specifically says she regrets not practicing the piano in her childhood. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I can make up for it. She's like, I'll make up for it with an hour and a half right now. <laughs> That's all it'll take, right? Yep. So as she's practicing, Harriet comes in and is like, oh, my God, you sound so great. I wish I played as well as you and Jane. And Emma's like, Jane and I are not on the same level don't try. She says anyone who knows anything about anything would be able to tell that. (laughs) And Harriet says, well, like you have taste and Frank values taste above execution. And then Emma says, well, Jane has both, which makes me just want to bring up my theory again about Frank potentially sending the piano and something having happened between Frank and Jane. Putting that aside for a second, I just also want to say, like, this Harriet moment is so, like, classic trying to console your friend. Yeah, she comes in. She's like, she's like, oh, my God, you sound so good. And she's like, don't try. Yeah. Well, also, like, the question is, does Harriet genuinely think Emma plays as well? Or does she just have, does she have, like, fog over her eyes in the form of love of Emma so much that she genuinely thinks Emma plays as well? Or is she just trying to make Emma feel better? Not totally clear. I think Harriet... Well, if I'm going based on, like, Emma's opinions of Harriet, I don't think Harriet knows any better, and she just, like, loves Emma so much, and she's like, oh, my God, she sounds amazing. I love Emma. Um, But maybe I'm not giving Harriet enough credit. I mean, Harriet is many things, but uh, deeply intelligent and discerning are not amongst her uh, great (laughs) achievements. Sure. Harriet says that Jane has to play well because she's going to teach piano one day. And then she that leads her into talking about her conversation with the Coxes last night. And the Coxes were wondering what family Jane would end up with. She says, 
The Coxes had some news, by the way. They dined with Mr. Martin last Saturday. Dun, dun, dun. I was like, oh, God, here we go. I mean, I was like, oh, excited. But then I was like, no, Harriet. She's just going back and forth. She's like, I just think it's kind of weird that he posted that photo on his Instagram with that girl. Do you think he's, like, dating her? Yeah, she's stressed about it. Um, She knows that either of the Coxes would be happy to marry him. And Emma's like, well, yeah, they're the two most vulgar girls in town. Emma's straight up like, yeah, they're trash. So of course they want him. Yeah. She's like, you can do better. Which really quick side note, the fact that the most trashy people in town are named the Coxes. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. It is funny. (laughs) They got funny names. I'm just joking. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And at this point, Harriet has an errand to run to Ford's and Emma's like, that's where she ran into the Martins last time. I'd better go with her just in case. So they go to Ford's and Harriet is like, you know, when you are in the coffee shop and someone in front of you gets to the front of the line and they're like, um, hmm, do I want a frappuccino today? No, it's kind of cold out. Maybe I want a hot coffee. Uh, maybe, maybe I want a latte with hazelnut. And then they're like, wait, uh, mm, no, that's too sweet. Um, and, and they're like going back and forth and they're like, what do you recommend? And then ultimately they just end up getting a black coffee. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's Harriet. Yeah. When she gets to Ford's, she's like, uh, do I want the yellow pattern or the blue pattern? Do I want the the ribbon or do I want the silk? And, the, and Emma's like, I'm just going to go stand by the door and look out at the people walking by. I have a theory that most couples have like an Emma and a Harriet in this regard where it's like one of them is like super indecisive and the other one's like, no. It's funny because I wrote down that Harriet, well, yeah, nope, your theory's right. Your theory's right. I was going to say this is me and Mel trying to make decisions, but I'm the Harriet. And Mel is, we some, we alternate who's who, but particularly when Emma comes back to Harriet and they're like going back and forth about where to send the fabric in the end. And she like can't decide if she wants to send it to Mrs. Goddard's or to Hartfield. And then she's like, what do you advise? And Emma's like, that you don't spend another minute talking about this. Send it to Hartfield. That's me and Mel. I'm like, wait, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? And she's like, we've already spent 15 minutes talking about it. Let's just do something. Yes. I'm the Emma. Mike is the Harriet. That makes sense to me. Our relationship. So he'll be like getting ready for the day. And he's like, "Mm, should I wear this shirt? And I'm like, you look nice in that shirt. And he's like, "Mm, I don't know. But should I wear it? And I'm like, you know what? No, because it's a little thin for today. It's cold outside. So put on a thicker shirt. You'll feel better later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Someone commented on one of our posts this week saying that we give off an Emma Harriet vibe, which devastating for me because <laughs> I know which one I am <laughs> well based on what we just talked about how I'm the Harriet and you're yeah. the Emma in both of our relationships it kind of makes sense that we would also be the Harriet and Emma in this relationship yeah absolutely yeah. although I'm, I'm not trying to uh not trying to pull you up to any class I hope except maybe into the Jane Austen fandom <laughs> yes which you've successfully yeah. done so thank you very much yeah. for that but uh hilarious and so true so they're doing that, going back and forth, getting the ribbons and et cetera, et cetera. And Emma sees Mrs. Weston and Frank approaching the Bateses. But when they see Emma, they immediately beeline to her. And Mrs. Weston tells Emma that they're going over to see the new piano forte at the Bates' house. And she says that Frank tells her that she absolutely promised last night that she was going to come see it this morning. And I have to know, there's two options here. One, he is telling her that because he 
wanted to go into town and like see either Emma or Jane Fairfax that morning. He's like, she, she, she promised last night to come this morning. Or Mrs. Buston was drunk and doesn't remember promising that, which I like to think is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one of the two. Yeah. I just really like the phrasing of it. She's like, my companion here tells me that I absolutely promised that I would come this morning, but I don't recall having that conversation or at least not saying that I would come this morning. I remember saying I wanted to see it, but well, she was drunk enough to tell Emma that Knightley's got a hard on for Jane too. So, so true. Mm. Mrs. Weston living it up. Yep. So Frank says that maybe he can come hang out with Emma while Mrs. Weston goes into the Bates' house. And Mrs. Weston's like, wait, I thought you were coming with me. And he's like, well, uh, I think I'd be in the way, but it seems like I'd also be in the way with Emma. looks like she doesn't really want me to come. And he's like kind of trying to charm his way. He's like, you don't really want me here, do you? (laughs) And then Emma says, well, I'm here with my friend, so you should probably go Mm -hmm. to the Bates'. Frank is like, okay, but if the instrument doesn't sound good, I won't be able to fake enjoyment. And he says, quote, I am the wretchedest being in the world at a civil falsehood. And in my notes, I wrote, I don't believe that for a second. And then Emma goes, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, no, because if there's one thing Frank is, it's a bit full of shit. Like, no matter what way you look at it, no matter what way you slice it, he's a little bit of a um, of a charmster. Like, uh, like how Knightley says, he's a politician in some ways. Yeah, and it's very clear. So he will be fine. <laughs> Emma says that she's sure he won't even need to fake it because it's going to sound great. And um, Mrs. Weston begs him to come with her. And then he's like, OK, all right, uh, let's go. She promises that they'll go to Hartfield afterwards. So he he goes with her. And then Emma goes back to Harriet, who has still not decided. That's where they have the, uh, the little back and forth there. And as they are about to leave, who should appear but Mrs. Weston again and Miss Bates with her. And Miss Bates, I realize when she's around, you only ever get half the conversation like you get these long paragraphs where she's like and how's your father oh I'm so glad to hear that and I just think that's really funny on Jane Austen's part that like we don't even get to hear the other half of the conversation well I think the implication is that somebody you're going oh good uh, uh, yeah yeah exactly (laughs) you're like oh okay uh, try to leave now um Miss Bates has come to ask Emma and Harriet to come and listen to the instrument too. And she was like, I figured if I brought Miss Weston along, you guys would be more likely to say yes. And Mrs. Weston's looking like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry about this. Yeah. She says that as soon as she found out that Emma was out here, she wanted to come and get her. And Frank had been like, oh, yeah, we must have Miss Woodhouse's opinion of the piano. I thought that was so funny because he is probably getting so much enjoyment out of this, like, Knowing that Emma was about to go home. Yeah. Frank is being a fucking troll right now. Uh, yeah. He definitely is trying. Like, it's probably somewhat his fault that Miss Bates knows Emma's right outside. Yeah. They probably got upstairs and he was like, oh, my God, we were just with Emma. And she's like, Emma's here. Oh, no. She's definitely got to come upstairs and see the piano forte. It's such a pretty piano forte. We got to see the piano forte. <laughs> Yeah. So Frank couldn't come down with her himself because he is fixing Mrs. Bates's spectacles. And Miss Bates says that she had been trying all morning to like go get them fixed, but something or other kept coming up and distracting her. And I wanted to bring attention to the theory that one of our listeners tweeted us about that Miss Bates is kind of representative of ADHD. Like the the way her mind operates is like consistent with the way an ADHD mind operates. Yeah, like she's like, okay, I'm gonna go get these spectacles fixed. Oh wait, 
the apple delivery came. Oh no, why did we get all these apples? Like, and then like slowly it just like spirals out of control until, oh shit, it's time for Mrs. Weston to come over and I still haven't gotten the spectacles fixed. Frank's going to do it. And like, it just like, it does ring true with uh, at least my knowledge of ADHD and um, what our listeners have said. Yes, I, I don't feel totally qualified to speak on the subject because I I don't have ADHD, but I, I can understand why someone with ADHD would relate to Miss Bates. <laughs> yes, as as someone who is uh, uh, taking the quiz with my psychiatrist, I can relate to Miss Bates. Yeah. Um. So anyway, just as the spectacles broke, as I said, they get a delivery of baked apples. And as it turns out, Jane Fairfax doesn't eat very much, ever, but when she gets hungry, she loves a baked apple. There are two types of people when it comes to stress and food. There are the people who, when they're really stressed, don't eat a thing, and there are the people who, when they're very stressed, eat everything, Mm -hmm. and I feel like Jane Fairfax is the epitome of someone who gets stressed out and stops eating. Yeah, and I'm the epitome of someone who gets stressed out and eats everything. Oh, I eat everything when I'm stressed. I love to eat when I'm stressed. (laughs) Yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect stress activity. Yeah. At this moment... Miss Bates asks Emma if she'll come inside, and Emma's like, sure, yeah, let's go. So they all head for the Bates' house, and then Miss Bates is like, okay, what was I talking about? And I really liked this moment where it says that Emma wonders which thing she was talking about she's going to latch on to because she was talking about a lot of things at once. Oh, yeah, what's the exact line? I think I highlighted it because it was so funny. Um, Emma wondered on what of all the medleys she would fix. Yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. She says, oh, yes, the spectacles. Frank is fixing them right now. And then she goes, oh, Frank, he said that the baked apples were the finest baked apples he ever saw. And then she says the apples came from Donwell and that Knightley sends a sack every year. But this year she was shocked when Knightley came over one morning, saw Jane eating the apples and she was saying how much she enjoyed them. And he was like, oh, like, are you getting to the end of your supply? I'll I'll send you another. And she was shocked by this. I too, shocked. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, Mr. Knightley coming at you with the the extra food the, the as a love language it kind of reminded me of the walnut at the beginning of this book interesting mm. interesting also i should say um this works as a seduction technique in my experience i'm yes. a good cook and uh i have attracted many a man by cooking yeah no bring me bring me a sack of apples and i'm yours so after nightly left saying he was going to send them more apples, Jane was pissed. She was like, why did you tell him we were getting low? Like, We should have told him we had plenty of apples. And that night, William Larkins had come over with an entire bushel of apples and revealed that it was all the apples of that kind that Knightley had. He does not have any more apples. He gave them everything. And at this point, I'm pretty sure Mrs. Weston's like, mm-hmm. 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 Mrs. Weston's giving Emma this look like mm-hmm. and Emma's like mm-hmm. yeah Emma's still not buying it which is weird so uh, William had told them that Mrs. Hodges was bitter that Knightley won't have another apple tart that season because he had he had not one left to bake or boil boiled apples? well you boil apples for cider I guess yeah oh true don't... they might be making cider or or pre- like some sort of preservation method yeah, yeah, maybe that's how you make apple preserves. I don't know. I don't I don't tend to eat a lot of cooked apples. I'm not really even an apple pie person, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I, I'm sure this makes sense in some ways. My preferred method of eating an apple is actually simply to eat one raw in the fall with a little bit of peanut butter smeared on it. Oh, the best. Although a baked apple does sound pretty nice or like an apple crumble. Mm. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, like, if you take a, 
like cut an apple in half and you like put a little like brown sugar on the top and you bake it. I'm sure that's lovely. Yeah. But I'm not it does not it does not hit the same uh culinary bone as the boiled pork did in my brain. Yeah. 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 Whereas this one, I'm like, yeah, no, this this sounds legit. I, I think probably baking and boiling apples gives them some something that like I don't know about. But I, again, as someone who's not partial to cooked apples, it's not necessarily my thing the way it might be for Jane Fairfax. Yes. And it's definitely her thing. And Miss Bates wanted to keep the fact that it was literally all of Knightley's apples a secret, but she accidentally lets it slip to Jane. So that's embarrassing. And by this point in the story, they have arrived at their house. And this brings us to the end of this chapter. Also love that Miss Bates was like, whoops, I was not supposed to say that. And she also says it to Emma and Miss West. Yeah. She's like, oh, God, I wanted to keep that a secret, but you have to know about it. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. I mean, honestly, what a, what an icon. Yeah, she's she kind of reminds me of Anne Steele a little bit, but like less uh, terrible. She's less um, vulgar than Anne Steele, but has a similar lack of filter and uh, lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that certainly exists. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So that brings us to chapter 10 or chapter 28, depending on how your book is split up. So they enter the house and Frank is still working on the spectacles and Mrs. Bates is snoozing in the corner and Jane is just staring at the piano. And Frank is really happy to see Emma. He's like, oh, I thought it would be another 10 minutes until I saw you at least, which I thought was funny because he was like, probably Miss Bates was going to talk her ear off for 10 minutes uh, until they arrived. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Mrs. Weston is surprised that Frank hasn't finished with the spectacles yet because it's like just he's just screwing in a thing. But he says that he got sidetracked because the piano was wobbling on the uneven floor. So he was helping Jane wedge some paper 
under the leg, which then explains why Jane is just staring at the piano, trying to see if it's standing still. Frank gets Emma to sit by him and he picks the best baked apple for her and he tries to get her to pay attention to him, basically. He's like, oh, like, look at this screw. Like, will you help me screw it in? Like, do you want to make the apple? Like, attentive to Emma in this moment. He's being very attentive to Emma Mm -hmm. in this moment. Certainly. Meanwhile, Jane is dawdling on starting to play and Emma thinks she's nervous and she actually feels bad for her. She's like, I don't really want to subject this poor girl to like playing for all of us right now. Jane's going like through it. She really is. But then she plays and it sounds lovely. And Frank says that whoever Colonel Campbell sent to pick out the instrument picked well. And he says that he knows Colonel Campbell's taste and he thinks that the upper notes in particular were, quote, exactly what all that party would particularly prize. He's saying this very loud and kind of obviously. And Emma's starting to get a little uncomfortable about it. Have you ever told someone a secret and not been like a thousand percent sure they are like discreet? Yes. the way you want them to be discreet. Yes, you've done it. And then you're like, immediately you text them and you're like, wait, that was just between us though, right? And they're like, oh yeah, 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 totally. And you're like, uh-huh. And then like, they're in a situation around you where they like could say something that would be problematic. Oh, I had a really bad experience with that one time Ooh. where oof, I don't even want to go into it because it's too drama. But like, I had <laughs> like, where I was like, someone knows something and they're gonna, they're gonna blow it in front of the person who can't know. This is just a lesson in life. Always tell your secrets to only people you know are really good at keeping secrets. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Emma made a mistake here and yep. she's she's realizing that. He starts trying to get Jane to comment on it, but she doesn't turn around because Mrs. Weston is saying something to her at the same time. And Emma's like, okay, like, why don't we tone it back a little bit? Like, I was only guessing at that theory of mine. Like, maybe we just mm-hmm. don't say anything else. And he's like, not listening to her so he starts talking to jane again he's like oh do you think that the colonel gave a direct order for the piano to be delivered on the day that it was or do you think it was more of a general thing and he might not know that it's here yet and jane says she can't assume that it was the colonel until she receives a letter from him being very uh practical and uh discreet discreet that's the word he says yeah, yeah, I'm just talking nonsense because I'm I'm busy working with these spectacles and uh, he's like hemming this up. Have you ever like had to fix spectacles in this very specific way? It takes like three minutes. Yeah, you just take a little tiny screw, you screw the screw back in. Yeah, Frank is like absolutely useless as a person because he's just sitting there been like, hey, yeah, I'm having fun with these glasses over here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, he's the worst. Yeah. Um <laughs> He then asks Jane to play another song, and he he asks her to play one of the waltzes from the dance last night because he noticed that she was really tired and wasn't enjoying it as much as she should have been, which is rude, first of all. So she plays it, and he says, you know, it's so nice to hear a tune that has made one happy in the past. If I'm not mistaken, this song was danced at Weymouth. I need to know what happened. He is hinting at something here. I don't know what, but he's like, can you play that one song? Mm, Yeah, I think I remember this from another party that we were at. Jane. Becca's doing her face. She will neither confirm nor deny. I will neither confirm nor deny. Jane blushes at this. So something happened with this dance at Weymouth. She's blushing and she starts changing the song and it's an Irish song that was sent with the piano and Frank says, oh, this was so thoughtful of the colonel to send this music because he knew that Jane wouldn't have any here. 
and he approves of the attention to detail, saying only true affection could have prompted this act. Now, Emma is sitting there wishing he would be less obvious, but then she notices Jane secretly smiling at her little piano, and she feels less guilty about the amusement Mm -hmm. she's getting from Frank's uh, obviousness because, quote, this amiable, upright, perfect Jane Fairfax was apparently cherishing very reprehensible feelings. Mm. Yeah, Emma caught Jane doing a little mm-hmm. like ooh, yeah, which is great because like it cuts through this armor of Jane Fairfax as this perfect stoic, mm-hmm. and you see for a second like something is under her skin. Yeah, something's there. I just want to know what it is. Whomst, whom, Stephen? Yeah. <laughs> um, even so, Emma tells Frank that he's being too obvious, and Jane might understand what he he's trying to say. And Frank says, "Well, I hope she will." I'm not ashamed of of what I'm trying to say. And Emma says, yeah, but I'm ashamed and I wish I had never thought of this. And Frank says, I'm glad you thought of it. We should leave the whole shame thing to Jane because if she's done something wrong, she should feel it. Now, I feel like he's projecting. I don't know what, but I feel like he's done something wrong and he's like, Jane should feel bad. I just, I don't know for what. I feel like something is going on here. Something is afoot. Something is afoot. Emma thinks that Jane feels shame and they should put it to rest, but... He goes, well, right now Jane is playing Mr. Dixon's favorite song, so. Mm-hmm. Mm. Then Miss Bates sees Mr. Knightley out the window on horseback, and this is so funny. She's like, okay, I'm not going to open the window in here because that'll make everyone cold. So she goes into the other room, and she opens up the window, and Mr. Knightley's, like, far away on horseback, and she starts <laughs> screaming out She's to like, him. hey, what's up? She's like, over here. <laughs> and then, so, like, they're having a full conversation through the window. And he immediately asks about Jane, saying, like, how is she? Did she catch cold last night? And Mrs. Weston gives Emma another very pointed look. And Emma's like, no, 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 it's fine. I love Mrs. Weston for just being, like, going exactly in the vein Emma would go in, except Emma on this one is just like, absolutely not. Yeah, but, oh, Emma, get with the program. (laughs) Uh, So so is this, yeah, it was Night Facts? Night Facts. Team Night Facts. Your your team Night Facts? Well, I think that's what's happening here. Okay. Mr. Knightley says he's going to Kingston and he asks if they need anything. And then Miss Bates is like, oh, you know, Miss Cole was just saying she needed something from Kingston. And he's like, yeah, but I'm asking if you need anything from Kingston. And she then asks him to come in and she tells him that Miss Woodhouse and Miss Smith are there. So he says, oh, yeah, like maybe I could come in for five minutes. And she's like, yeah, by the way, like Mrs. Weston and Frank are here, too. And he's like, I can't actually come in right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Frank so much. I love it. He really does. <laughs> it's so perfect because he's like, oh, Miss Woodhouse and Miss Smith, I'll go say hi. And then she's like, and Mr. Churchill. And he's like, I will not say hi. Like, I can't. It's he's like, too long. I don't have any time right yeah. now. I have to get to Kingston do my errands, you know? Oh, boy. Then Miss Bates is like, oh, you know, the party was so fun. Have you ever seen better dancing than that of Miss Woodhouse and Mr. Churchill? And he goes, yes, they were delightful. And I can't say less than that because I'm sure they can hear every single word that we're saying right now. This is my funniest <laughs> quote. So I'll save reading the entire thing. For later, yes. but this part, this just whole interaction is so funny because everyone's hearing everything everyone's saying. Then uh, before he goes, Miss Bates is like, oh, by the way, I was so shocked about the apples. And he's like, what now? And she says, you shouldn't have sent us all your apples. But before she can finish saying anything, he rides off and she's like, well, all right, he's gone. 
she comes back in and she starts to repeat the entire conversation to them. And Jane is like, yeah, no, we heard. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, what he said about Kingston. <laughs> yes, this is this is something, this is a me trait as well. I can relate to Miss Bates on this level because I certainly do that where like I will tell the parts of the story and people will be like, we know. It. And I get this from my father who's a professor. And every time he tells a story, he has to start like 10 years before the story and tell <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, dad, I know that part. I don't actually think this part in it for me to know the punchline of the story. Yeah, but... yeah. No, I do that too. I'm really bad about telling people stories that they told me or like that they were present for. I'll be like, oh, rem- like this thing happened the other day. And someone will be like, I was there. And I'm like, wait, you were there when this thing happened? And I like repeat the whole thing. They're like, yeah, I was there. Yeah, it happened in front of me. Um, Then like as she's doing this, Emma gets up to leave and she's like, oh, you're going so soon. And then everyone gets up to leave. Um, By that time, they don't really have much time left. So Mrs. Weston and Frank just walk, walk them to the gates of Hartfield and then go home. And that's the end of that chapter. Which brings us to Becca's study questions. We don't have much because obviously these chapters are light, but I think there's a lot of subtext happening in these chapters. So starting with the first question, Emma's regrets about the night at the Coles. What do we see in Emma's sort of reflections on her experiences as she's going through that night? Well, what's interesting is this isn't the first time that Emma has reflected on something she's done and been like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have done that. She's felt guilty now about the Martins thing, the thing with the Martins, um, and like kind of regretted her decision on that. I mean, she she's had to talk herself into not regretting it, but like she's at least felt that pang of guilt. In this situation, it's a little bit different, but this is like the, the second time that she's regretted something that she's done. Definitely. And I would add a little wrinkle to this as well, because Emma's specific regrets here are not just breaking the girl code to Jane. It's also acting without propriety mm. in certain regards. Mm-hmm. So Emma is someone who's very class focused, but her instincts really are to perform in somewhat gauche ways that when she thinks back on them later, she realizes are improper. So you kind of see Emma's etiquette slip Mm. naturally in these circumstances. And I think Frank Churchill particularly brings this out in her. So true because she's talked like in the beginning, she would talk a lot about like the gossips of Highbury and how she doesn't want to associate with them, but now she's doing it. Yes. And I think you can see that she's behaving in ways that are inappropriate. Yeah. And then thinking back on it and being like, oh, wait. Right. I behaved in a way that's inappropriate. And she sort of like gets up in her hackles when Knightley points out that maybe she was inappropriate, mm-hmm. but when she's left to re- reflect on it with her own devices, she kind of comes to that conclusion herself as well. So Emma obviously raised very well, but her instinct is to be a little gauche and then to pull back and be like, oh, I was a little gauche. Mm-hmm. So it's just worth sticking a pin in that and remembering. All right. Yeah. Uh, why did Frank force Emma up to the Bates's interaction? That's a great question. I mean, one, I think he wants to keep hanging out with her. But two, I think that he wants to start drama. He, like, wants her to witness. He, like, thinks it's cool what he's doing with uh, kind of goading Jane on and, like, trying to get something out of her. And he thinks that he and Emma are maybe in this together. And Emma's, like, having her little regrets. But he's like, no, this is fun. Like, let's keep doing our thing that we were doing last night. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably part of it. 
Okay. I will not. I I will not confirm or deny anything. All right. But I want to think thinking about why Frank is pulling Emma in here. Um, what do you think of Frank's behavior here? Clearly, like there's a lot going on with his behavior. Uh, let's start with his behavior towards Miss Bates. And how much of it do you think he's being sincere? And how much of it do you think he's mocking? He's Logan Huntsberger. It's like. It's, yeah, he's fucking Logan Hunter. He's like he's he's aware of what he's doing. He's aware that he's just Logan Huntsberger. I don't even know what else to say about it. It's like <laughs> the way that Logan interacts with like Emily Gilmore, which is like full of respect and same with Richard, like he respects them. He'll like say all the right things, but then he'll like talk shit behind their backs if he wants to. Like that's the same thing here. I think that he am not he's kind of different because Miss Bates is below him and annoying, but like he is like, oh yeah, like these are the best apples ever. Like, oh my God, these apples, like this is so funny. Yeah. Uh I could get so much better. Yeah, um part of it is that Frank is just like a really charming guy, but also I think there's a part of him that's amused by how ridiculous Miss Bates is. Yeah, and he's he's willing to be however he's gonna be. Yeah, he's amused by how Miss Bates is and he knows that Emma doesn't like to deal with it. And that's also part of why he was like, yeah, let's bring Emma up. This will be fun. Yeah. So then let's talk about his poking of Jane and the Mr. Dixon situation. That's wild to me. Like he is really pushing the bounds of what's proper. Why? So he knows something about her and she knows something about him. Like something happened and he's like on her case. Um, But why would he do it publicly? I think... Again, he is Logan Huntsberger in that, like, he's kind of a problem child. Like, he's trying to start drama. He's been privileged his whole life to, like, well, not his whole life, but for, like, from, like, three years old on or whatever. So, like, people look up to him and think that he's the best and he can get away with whatever he wants. I will need to confirm or deny. Last thing I'll say is Jane is clearly hiding some shit in this chapter. What do you make of her behavior towards Knightley, her aunt, Emma? Frank, because as we've said, Jane is a bit of an enigma. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of insight into this mystery, but you can see how she interacts with each different character slightly mm-hmm. differently. Mm-hmm. And what does each character say about her? It's weird. Her relationship with, with Frank is super weird because like there's obviously like she's not just sitting there and taking it. Like she is like blushing and stuff when he says stuff, but she's also like, I'm not going to engage with you right now. And so like that's kind of bold her to like stand up to him in that way when he was like what do you think about this and she's like I'm not making any assumptions so she's definitely aware of what he is doing and aware like she knows that he knows whatever the thing is between them she I don't think she said two words to Emma I don't know if she hates Emma as much as Emma hates her (laughs) it's possible or she like thinks Emma's cool I don't really know but she's definitely hiding something and I don't know what it is I feel like I'm believing this thing about Mr. Dixon but I also feel like if Emma's right about that that would be too easy and I I kind of am like I'm kind of like thinking that Mr. Churchill and Frank have something not Mr. Churchill and Jane have something going on or like had something going on so yeah that's where my mind's at right now okay uh that's all I have in terms of study questions but I really think it's um unmistakable at this point in the book that no matter what happened between Frank and Jane with Mr. Dixon and Mrs. Dixon, like there's something potent that we're not 
privy to right now. Yes, definitely. So let's just leave that on the table somewhere. All right. And that brings us to the standbys. What do you think of Emma? In this chapter, I feel like Emma is showing kind of a deeper understanding of society, societal norms, like self-awareness. Um, I like when she regrets her dumb actions. <laughs> so I'm proud of her for that. But I don't think she's doing enough. She needs to do the work. Yeah. She's like, she's like, maybe we should be quiet. Oh, wait. Jane's kind of blushing right now. <laughs> so I'm having more fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also that goes to um, whatever the flirtation is going on between Emma and Frank. It just makes everything a little, it tinges everything with this other thing where they're kind of like, he's like trying to impress her. She's trying to seduce him. Like, and it's all sort of underneath the surface of them mm-hmm. just having like, a ball and being a little bit out there for the etiquette of their time. But also she is starting to like maybe realize maybe she shouldn't have shared this particular nugget with him in particular. Exactly. So Emma's better angels working against her baser instincts. Yeah. 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 Uh, funniest quote. So this is Mr. Knightley um, after he's asked how well Emma and Mr. Frank Churchill danced the night before. He says, oh, very delightful indeed. I can say nothing less, for I suppose Miss Woodhouse and Mr. Frank Churchill are hearing everything that passes. And, raising his voice still more, I do not see why Miss Fairfax should not be mentioned too. I think Miss Fairfax dances very well, and Mrs. Weston is the very best country dance player without exception in England. Now, if your friends have any gratitude, they will say something pretty loud about you and me in return, but I cannot stay to hear it. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. And then he rides yeah, away. It's like Emma and Frank are great at dancing. Everybody else is also great at dancing. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, I just particularly liked that, you know, now they should say something nice about you and me too. Peace. Goodbye. Yeah. Questions moving forward? The standing question still stands. What the heck happened between Jane and Frank? What does he know? What does she know? What is going on with Jane? And I think that's that's my biggest question going forward from this chapter. Fair enough. Who wins the chapters? Ooh. I almost kind of want to give it to Miss Bates for, like, she just kind of, like, dominated the the conversation and, like, the plot driving forward of this chapter. Um, but also Emma for having a little bit of self-awareness in this chapter and, like, sort of saying maybe we're being too obvious. She didn't get there all the way yet. But uh, she has a small win and Miss Bates has a small win, I think. All right, we'll take it. Yeah. Uh, Listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice for next time. Please read the next two chapters, which I believe are volume the second, 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. Or if your book isn't broken up into volumes, that would be chapters 29 and 30. Molly, how are we feeling about all this? I can't wait. I'm hoping that something gets revealed soon, but Mm. who knows? Yes. Well, until next time, then stay proper. And bake an apple. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, why not? Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.